Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government contradicts statements from Donald Trump that the Canada-U.S. border could soon be reopened. Our government will only do that when it is appropriate and when it is not a risk to the health and safety of Canadians. Canadian politicians weigh in on whether China and the World Health Organization should be held accountable for the crisis. We continue to have serious and grave questions over uh, the the way China has interacted with the WHO uh, since the beginning of this crisis. The, the, the very credible evidence and the allegations that have been leveled against the government of China in terms of, of uh, hiding uh, the, the, the true nature of the virus, the ability of it to be transmitted from person to person, the number of cases. And New Brunswick's Premier suggests his province could be the first to reopen its provincial borders. If we continue to obey the emergency orders now, we may see fewer restrictions in the weeks ahead. We reacted early in the pandemic, and we, will, we are starting to see the results with few cases of COVID-19 over the past week. It's Friday, April 17th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. So the White House is saying one thing, the government of Canada is saying another about the Canada-U.S. border. Donald Trump says it might be reopened soon, and Justin Trudeau says probably not. What should we make of this? Well, I'm not actually sure that that is what the president said. Um, so he was asked about this on Wednesday by TVA, which is the like the French version of CTV, if you wish, in Quebec. Um, he was asked that by a reporter, and his answer was that Canada would be one of the earlier borders to be um, released. And I think from a Canadian standpoint, that is actually something that you would have wanted the U.S. president to say, that you know Canada has a special relationship with the United States and that um, we would be among the first to uh, you know, ease border restrictions. And I feel like it has gotten kind of twisted a little bit into being something that it was perhaps not intended. I think you, the president was caught a little bit off guard by a very specific question, and you tried to say something non-controversial. Um, that being said, on Thursday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was pretty clear that uh, the border with the United States is not being reopened anytime soon, and that um, that is apparently something that the two of them uh, spoke about on Thursday just before the G7 call. All right, so let's turn to the whole issue of China and the World Health Organization and their responsibility or not in the coronavirus crisis. There are politicians on both sides of the border and around the world who are attacking the World Health Organization, criticizing China. Some Canadian politicians have added their names to an open letter that condemns China for this, including Conservative leadership candidates Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole and the current interim leader Andrew Scheer. Um, But the Canadian government seems to be holding back on this. Why? Well, I'm going to separate the two because I think the discussion around the World Health Organization is different than what uh, China may have uh, not told the international community. So we know that on Thursday, the G7 leaders did talk about um, the U.S. president's decision to withhold funds to the World Health Organization. And basically except for the United States, the rest, the G6, I guess we call them, had a common approach in that now is really not the time to basically uh, impede 
the World Health Organization's ability to do its coordinating role because the world actually needs uh, an organization like the World Health Organization to uh, to help coordinate international responses to this. And while there may be um, pointing of fingers in terms of, you know, is the WHO over-reliant on uh, Chinese information without having its own sources of information or perhaps coordinating or getting information from other member countries. Um, that is a discussion. It was argued apparently by Angela Merkel and by the Canadian Prime Minister that uh, that is a discussion that should happen later, that uh, now is not the time to have that discussion. And we know obviously that um, there are Canadian politicians here who are, I think, using uh the, pres- the U.S. president's position on the World Health Organization as a way of also echoing concerns that they have, the fact that um, there are politics at play. Frankly, there's politics at play when you talk about diplomacy, period. You know, the United Nations is a body where people have political agendas and they try to use leverage in the different fora that they are um, able to uh, influence. And so that should not come as a surprise. And I think the the criticism about the who um, is usually found so far has been found only in politicians who also are deeply critical of the United Nations hmm. here. Um, so uh, so separating that from uh, criticism about China and its response and what it withheld um, and uh, how it suppressed uh, information from health experts who were trying to get the message out. Erwin Kotler, who's the former liberal justice minister, um, penned a column where he quite explicitly um, outlined the ways in which uh, China is responsible for a lack of preparedness internationally because the international community did not have an accurate picture of what was happening. And a lot of conservative politicians, as you mentioned, um, Aaron O'Toole, Peter McKay, Andrew Scheer, uh, several conservative MPs as well, James Van, for example, have signed on to this open letter, uh, this international letter that has more than 100 signatories. Um, I think those two things, though, need to be separated right. um, because they they deal with slightly different issues. All right. Uh, Anyways, the- un- neither of one of which is going to be resolved today. Yeah. All right, let's let's talk about uh, efforts to get back to normal and to restart the economy. People are waiting and waiting for some sign that we'll start down that path. And New Brunswick's Premier Blaine Higgs is saying that his province could be the first to reopen provincial borders. Is that an encouraging sign that uh, that we, in at least some parts of the country we might be on the way back? Well, I'm going to add a pretty important caveat. I'm not a medical expert. So, you know, is New Brunswick ready to reopen its borders as early as May um, and lift the state of emergency, which is what um, the premier of the province suggested? I don't know. But my impression is that so far, none of the provinces are really at the testing capacity that you would want in order to be able to identify any new clusters that happen in a potential second wave. And we've had a really radical um, awakening this week. One of the first, um, well, the first town in Japan to actually impose a state of emergency, a northern a town in northern Japan, um, actually ended up lifting restrictions uh, late last month uh, in mid-March because things seemed to be going well. They had no new cases. But alas, this week they've had to reimpose a state of emergency because they've had 135 new cases. And part of the problem has been a lack of testing. And so um, 
you know, the, the problem that we've heard the federal government uh, elaborate and we've heard other uh, provincial premiers and health experts, uh, the public health officers from across the provinces talk about is that, you know, right now we're expanding eligibility uh, to test, but we're not doing mass testing. I mean, I, I could go to the grocery store and catch the virus, but I wouldn't know for another two weeks and I could go off and infect a bunch of other people. And until that we have a system where people can be tested rapidly and they're and there is mass testing, I don't think life will go back to normal. That being said, I think a lot of people are feeling antsy about staying at home. And we know that the curve is flattening in some parts of the country. It is certainly not in other places like in Ontario where I am um, and where you are. (laughs) Uh, And so I, I think it will be hard to explain to people why they need to stay home when the ICU units are not overcrowded, when the hospitals seem to be managing okay. And so I think that there definitely will be um, a ununiform way of right. reopening the Canadian economy where provincial premiers and territorial leaders um, make the, their own decisions based mm-hmm. on their own local circumstances. Okay, and let's talk about the debate uh, over whether to bring back Parliament and have it sit in person, which Andrew Scheer, the Conservative leader, is advocating for. Uh, where does that stand and where do you see it going? Well, as of late Thursday night, there was uh, no decision, uh, at least no decision communicated, and I hadn't heard uh, anything. So if there's, um, well, everybody expects there's a decision that's going to be made today, uh, because if not, all 338 members of Parliament are expected back in Ottawa on Monday, um, because that is the date that a month ago, on March 12th, March 13th, when Parliament decided to suspend uh, because of the coronavirus, that is the date that they had penciled in. So right now there are negotiations happening about what a return to Ottawa might look like, what the return of Parliament might look like. We know the Conservatives tried to tie this into the wage subsidy that was being uh, negotiated last week. And that did not uh, prove fruitful. Wage subsidy was passed on Sunday um, without uh, any conclusion on this issue. The Tories are arguing that Parliament absolutely must sit and that it must sit in person. But they are not arguing for a return to work as normal. What they, what Andrew Shear is saying is he wants a question period. He wants the ability to at least, um, he had said four times a week last week, but then in a letter the Prime Minister suggested at least once a week. And now uh, on Thursday when he addressed the media, he said again four times a week in-person sessions. But he wants the PM, as it seems, at least once to answer questions from opposition leaders. And then there is some sort of flexibility between the, <laughs> the other parties. What this means, who knows? The government right. is trying to say that it wants, uh, it believes in the opposition's role to keep the government accountable, but it does not want to have a full-on return uh, of parliament. Uh, doesn't think that in-person sittings are a good idea. And the argument the government says or points out is that every time the House resumes, even if there's only 32 MPs like there was on Saturday, there were at least 40 staff from the House of Commons, additional staff that were called in. Um, and so can they do this virtually? The Speaker of the House has said he thinks that they can, and we know that the UK Parliament is looking at doing this eminently, but in Canada we're told it will take at least three weeks. In the meantime, we have six committees that are now meeting, um, some of them through audio telephone calls, which started off a little bit rocky, but 
seem to be a lot better when people realize to put themselves on mute. And we have a few that are video conferencing. So um, we will see where the parties come to an agreement. Is it maybe a once a week and in-person sitting? And if, if so, you know, what, you know, why meet once a week and not meet two or three times a week if right. you're calling these people in anyways and they need to isolate from their yeah. families and whatnot. So we will see. To be determined. The cliffhanger okay. of the week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Althea, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Mark. Stay safe. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast. We have to be disciplined. We must stay the course. We cannot let the progress we've made go to waste. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin argues Justin Trudeau must win the battle over impatience to reopen. Martin writes... There's a limit to what the public will tolerate as the first month of confinement takes its mental toll. As the Prime Minister noted this week, public impatience is growing toward resistance. He clearly senses he's about to face pushback from the impatient and the resistant on multiple fronts. This is not the time for overconfidence to trump caution. The Prime Minister must continue hammering home the need for stay-at-home resolve until the virus is vanquished or will be doomed to repeat our forgotten history. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason considers the fine balance between safety and economics amid a pandemic. Mason writes, Politicians are getting increasingly nervous about the financial fallout from this pandemic, and unease is growing that the public will soon begin bristling under continued quarantine. All the more reason to get people back to work. Prime Minister Trudeau's pronouncement on Wednesday that there are no immediate plans to take the shackles off the economy will likely be met with strong resistance in various parts of the country, but it's a decision that could end up saving thousands of lives. At cbc.ca, Aaron Wherry argues the pandemic seems to be giving Canadians warm feelings about government, but he wonders if that can last. Wherry writes, People have a natural tendency to rally together in moments of great uncertainty, Public support has increased for elected leaders across the Western world in the initial stages of this crisis. A new sense of belief in the value of government could be connected to that same phenomenon. But even if there is broad support right now for the idea that government can and should be a significant force for good, governments still have to live up to that belief. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be in private meetings, followed by his daily news conference on the coronavirus. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, April the 17th. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day and weekend for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.